Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Media with Peter Kafka, powered by Digital Media. Before we launch Recode Media as its own podcast, you may have heard Peter over at my podcast, Recode Decode. Here's one of the fantastic interviews he did for Decode. Let's listen. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by Digital Media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. This is our special weekly segment with host Peter Kafka, Recode's Senior Editor and Producer of the Code Media Conference. Joining Peter each week are some of his favorite movers and shakers in the media world. And Peter, this week you talked to? Talked to Brian Rolap, who oh, runs... Who's a, that? Who runs, well, there's a sport called football. Yes, I've heard football. of it. It's a yes. big deal. He runs the NFL's media group. The NFL is the biggest sport in America, which means he's kind of one of the most important people in media. I mean, the NFL is crucial to the way TV works and increasingly might be crucial to the way the internet works. Right, as they've been trying recall, some things. Right? Yeah, as you might recall, they did a, they streamed an entire game on Yahoo this fall, which seemed to work well. So we talked yeah. to him about that and many other things. Fantastic. I have a theory about media. It's not a really brave theory, but here it goes. Television is really big. Sports is really big on TV. Football is the biggest thing on in sports, so it's the biggest thing on TV, which means my guest is one of the most important people in TV and in media, yet no one knows who he is. His name is Brian Rolep. I'm going to call him the media guru of the NFL. Is that the correct title, uh, Brian? Sure. You can go with that, I guess. So you are one of the most important people in, in football, one of the most important people in sports. I think if, if you walked into a stadium, five people might recognize you? Maybe. Maybe if it's a game in new york where i know a lot of people yeah four or five people including maybe like your driver or the guy. yeah I... so let's, let's explain to the, the broad audience listening to this what your day job is why it's important um you run media for the nfl i do yeah that means you're the guy in charge of figuring out tv deals yep first and foremost yep and figuring out every other kind of deal involving selling rights nfl rights to different platforms am i summing that up correctly yeah i think that's right i think I spend a large amount of my time creating the strategy for us, how we distribute our content, whether that's live games or other content online or on television. But also I spend a good amount of time running our owned and operated media assets, whether that's NFL Network, NFL Mobile, NFL.com, those sorts of things. So, so we'll talk about those other platforms, but I, yeah. I think I think of immediate import, both because you've got a deal coming and then sort of longer term, billions of dollars in media sort of run through you and the deals you do. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if TV is, is declining, and we can talk about whether it is declining or not, um, and even if sports maybe is not quite as powerful as it used to be, you have the most valuable asset in media. You were able to charge billions of dollars for that. Everyone sort of wants to figure out how to get the thing that you have to sell. It's a pretty pretty great job description. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I mean, it, it helps when the content you are distributing or talking to people about happens to be the most popular content in the country, if not the world. I mean, people love football, and they feel passionate about it. And I think any, any content where people feel passionate about it, you're going to get people to engage, and any people – any content that gets people engaged, you're going to be able to make a business out of it. So I'm lucky to, to be where I am. So you have the thing that everyone wants for now, and, and your job is even easier than it sounds, right? Because not only does everyone <laughs> want to buy it, but most of it's not for sale, right? Most of the deals, most of the TV deals you've got are locked up through 2022, right? Yeah, it was funny. It reminds me of a story of uh, a friend of mine I was talking to when they describe my job and I tell them what I do. I, you know, I sell TV rights and other content rights for the NFL for content. And he says, well, 
you know, a trained monkey could do that job. And then my wife speaks up and says, well, I'm not sure it has to be trained. So, but no, I, I, it's, it's actually a complex job, which is why I love it. That's what you tell your bosses. I got it. it. Well, no, I, I actually love it because, you know, first from an economic standpoint, it's very important because the media rights is how the NFL makes the vast majority of our money. And so the system that we have, um, that pays the players, the owners return on their capital all comes through different revenue streams, but media is the biggest. So there's, there's a large responsibility and I like that, but it's also, um, it's complex. The media landscape is changing and, um, how you build a business, how you reach fans, what we knew a year ago changes this year and is going to change again. I like the complexity of that. I think that, that, that intellectually there's something attractive to that, but I also think there's a big responsibility of it. When you, when you work at the NFL or you, you work with, um, how these games are distributed on television, there's this old saying that, you know, Everybody uh, is an expert in two things, or two. Th- everyone's an expert in two businesses, their own and television. And that's certainly true with the NFL, where what, with the decisions you make literally impacts millions of people on something they feel very passionate about. So that's that's a big responsibility that we take pretty seriously, and, and I actually like that about the job. But but it does make it different. But again, you can't you can't really screw anything up for a couple of years to come, right? It's a lot of responsibility. But a lot of these deals are set. Almost all the deals are set. There's one that's coming up now, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on now. Yep. So it's generating a lot of interest. The one thing that's sort of coming up for sale in the near future is this slate of Thursday night games. In theory, up to 16 games. Um, they're available as soon as next year, right? They are. Um, and so it's really the only chance that you have to sort of buy access to the NFL until 2022. Again, seems like a pretty great asset to have. Um, I think I think the conventional wisdom is one of the traditional TV networks is going to buy that. Is, that. is that what you think as well? Well, yeah, I think most of our television rights are locked up. Uh, through the 2020 or 2021 season. Um, and that's a source of strength for us, uh, economic and otherwise. But Thursday night football, we've always treated differently. Thursday night football... And this is a new thing. It didn't exist until a few years ago. Yeah, it's, it started in 2006. And it started as an eight-game package on the NFL Network. The NFL Network was you know, three years old at that point. We were trying to build distribution. We were trying to make it a bigger thing. It's very important to us. Uh, and starting an eight-game package helped that. But really what it was is... Uh, we had not played a full package of games or any really games on a regular basis on a short football week other than Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, you play Sunday or you play Monday, then Thanksgiving comes. So we always felt that Thursday could be a football night. Uh, and so we wanted to start slow and make sure that was true. And so starting eight games and putting it on our network seemed a good place to start. As the network got more distributed and as we figured out... Your own network, that's the NFL, NFL network, network. Which you guys literally own. We literally own. Um is the games became more popular as uh, it seemed from a football standpoint that these teams could compete uh, on a short week. And there was an egalitarian way to treat the teams. We expanded that package and we expanded to a full slate of games um, that helped the NFL network. But after we did that and played a couple years, we said, you know what, Thursday Night Football, we think when we watch the viewership grow, it could be something. But you seem to forget Monday Night Football is something that's ingrained in everybody's mindset. But Monday Night Football started 45 years ago. And 45 years ago, when you put football on a regular basis on primetime television, it, it was different. That was a crazy idea. It was a crazy idea. They wanted to burn us for witchcraft. Like it never, you know, it was never thought about. And so, you know, to condition a, a consumer and a fan for a regular Thursday night, that, that's a process. And so our thought was, how do we make it bigger? Um, and that led to our deal with CBS. But I'm telling you that story because we've always felt about Thursday as our risk capital. 
for, for lack of a better word, where while most of our TV rights are locked up through 2021, Thursday was where we could experiment. Thursday is where we could drive our own assets. Thursday is where we could start testing models for the future. And also scale business, right? I mean, you're a giant business, but it's, it's hard to get much bigger than you already are. And you, all of a sudden, it seems like out of thin air, you're able to manufacture an entire new night of television or a new night of media. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and to, to take over another night on television um, was certainly the goal, but, but not, not easy to do. And it's a process and it takes time. But there's another thing about our business, too, where everyone talks about the games and the games are an important part of our business. But we find when there's a big business growing outside of the games. There's a big business growing outside of the season. And so you look at our growth of the draft or you look at the growth of the NFL Combine or even when we release the schedule, there's this interest that goes well beyond the games that we're equally interested in is growing. And so when we think about deploying these games or we think about making the NFL network stronger, we also think about how do we keep the NFL engaged or the NFL fan engaged beyond October. So we, beyond October. Oh, yeah, I want to ask you about that. But let me ask you about just go back to the, the sale of, the, of these games. So yep. That'll happen early in 2016, right? You That's guys. the plan. Yeah. And and I love, because of the stuff I write about, I love the notion of an internet company coming and buying those rights, which is theoretically possible. Sure. Correct? Yeah. Someone, an internet, an Apple, a Google, somewhere could could pay you guys enough or could convince you guys that, that they should broadcast those games instead of a broadcast network. Those things don't have to go to a broadcaster cable network. That, that's theoretically possible, yes. So what what is the actual likelihood of that happening? Uh, look, I don't, I wouldn't put a probability on it. And you'd like to, you. By the way, it's in your it's your interest to have them bidding, right? You'd like those. You'd, lo, you'd like more bidders than less. Sure, but, sure. It, it, look, and we, and as you know, we 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 did a game for the first time this year exclusively over right. the internet, um, Buffalo Jacksonville game, which I know you were tuning into. Right? I did. Okay, I watched good. on multiple platforms. We'll <laughs> talk about that as well. Nine thirty in the morning. Absolutely. Um, there's one of the reasons we did that is that um, it's a question if the internet is ready for a full-scale distribution of NFL football. We've talked about it for a long time. You and I talked about it for a long time. But we've never really done it. And that was one of the reasons why, on October 25th of this year, we wanted to do it. And so we, you did it once? We did it once. In the morning? Early morning, Sunday morning? 9.30 with, with two low-wattage teams, small market. Um, it worked. We can get, get, get into those details. Do you think you could do that for an entire season in prime time? Would it would it technically work? Well, I think based on what we see we've seen, I think it could. Um, but I, it's a question if we're ready to do that. The reality is, um, we are in the reach business. Uh, one one strength of the NFL has been our games have been widely available, and I think if you look at other sports properties, it's worked for them, and they're they're, they're in a little bit of a different business than we are. We only have sixteen home games, or I'm sorry, eight home games, sixteen total games per team, but um, we have broadcast all of our games on free over the air television, even the ones on pay TV. At the end of the day, we have felt that reach has really served our sport well. Now reach is just more complicated, so our questions always can the internet reach as many fans as it could on television? And I think the jury's out on that a little bit. If you think about um, broadband, you think about the penetration, you think about the quality of the game. If you think about the fact that if you take a Green Bay, New England game at 425 on a Sunday, we'll probably get, um, it will peak at 30 million viewers. So think about that in internet terms of 30 million concurrence. Can the internet right now sustain 30 million concurrence consistently week in and week out at the high level of quality that every NFL fan expects? I think 
there's an open question about that. So a couple, I, re- I was reading an interview with Peter King from, I think, 2014. Yeah. He said, you, you raised that same theoretical and said, no, it can't. Now you're saying we're not sure. Yeah. I'm going to go on on a limb here, and it sounds like if you're not sure in late December 2015, you're not going to sell an entire, you're not going to sell an all-digital package, digital-only package in 2016. I know you're dying for me to answer this question. Yeah, it'd be great. Good news. But I don't think I can. But I, but I, but I will say, you think about the interview with Peter. When I when I talked to Peter about that, we hadn't done it before. The biggest thing we'd done on the internet, I think, had concurrence of I don't know two hundred fifty thousand or something. Which, um, again, in a certain t- moment in time, was a big thing. Uh, we now had something like three million concurrence for a Buffalo Jacksonville game on Yahoo. It had very very high quality. I mean, that's the thing about that game: the quality of it, no matter what you watch, it was very good. Could we scale to? 30, 20 million. I'm not sure, but I'm not rolling it out. And, and I mean, your, Thursday night, your Thursday night games aren't drawing 30 million people. No, they're drawing they're 8 million. Yeah. And so I think, so I guess the way I'd answer your question, I'm not trying to be cagey. I would say it all depends on our conversation with with the tech companies, which we're having. And, um, and to be clear, like I built you up as, as the most powerful man in sports because it, it's true. Because it's good for your podcast. And it's also good for my podcast. Yeah. But in the end, you do have to go back to, to the Jerry Joneses and the owners and in the end are going to sign off on this. So even if you say, look, let's do it. Let's do it with Yahoo or Amazon or Google or some internet company you've never heard of before, they want, you wouldn't do that. Um, they might go, yeah, I don't want to deal with this. I, I, want, I want to work with CBS. I want to work with, I, I like Les Moonves. Let's keep working with him. Yeah, look, I, it's not my unilateral decision, obviously, to make that. There's there's 32 owners of this business, and I'm not one of them. And so they they will ultimately make the decision. But I will say these owners are, are fairly progressive. I mean, um, what the owners understand is what you've pointed out is that NFL football has an ability to do something that is uh, harder and harder to do every year, and that's to aggregate large amount of audiences. And it's 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 powerful to build a sport, but it's also powerful to build the business of our partners. And um, so they're very interested in figuring out if we can do that for other people. I think when we before my time, but when the NFL made the decision to put the uh, what was then the NFC package on Fox in the early '90s. When Rupert Murdoch had just started a broadcast network in this country, which was sort of unheard of. I mean, if you are if you are not an old person, you have to remember <laughs> there, there was a time when there were only three broadcast companies. That's right, and and and, and Rupert Murdoch started a fourth, which was at the time was was a bananas a idea, crazy idea. And the first he needed you needed TV stations in every market, and you needed programming, and you and in fact he wasn't even on the air for a full prime time at that point. But the first thing, he, one of the first things he went out and did is is convince the NFL to um, put the NFC package there, and he built the network off the back of the NFL, which is great. But but I only bring up that story to say the owners were progressive enough to see They that will they go out on a limb, yeah. and money helps. Look, it, it, money always helps, and there's a business to run, but at the same time, we, we always have the long term. Um, let's put it this way. If we were just chasing money when we make these major rights decisions, the mass majority of NFL football would have been on pay television years ago. The fact of the matter, it's not. Um, the vast majority of it are on broadcast networks, numerous, uh, free to air, which is still the best way to get reach, at least currently. Um, and even the games we put on cable television, if it's the NFL Network or ESPN, we put over the air in the local markets. So if you're watching the New England Green Bay game that we're talking about, and it's on ESPN, it will be on ESPN. But if you live in Green Bay and live in Boston, you will still get it free over the air. You don't have to have cable. Um, and there's a reason for that. So speaking of live events, I want to tell you guys about one we're hosting uh, early February next year. Uh, it's Code Media 2016, February 17th and 18th in lovely Southern California. 
right there on the Pacific. It's where you'll find fascinating speakers and conversations just like this one. We're talking about the intersecting worlds of media and technology. We'll have candid, unscripted conversations. You'll have folks like uh, Sony Entertainment CEO Michael Linton, Mike Hopkins of Hulu, Eric Huckers of Vivo, Jessica Lesson of The Information, and many others. If you want to see the full speaker lineup and register, and you should, uh, check us out at recode.net slash events. So you guys, I think it's, I'm going to guess that you're not going to sell that NFL package to Apple, but it seems like you've also said, we like that Yahoo deal. We probably do want to sell some other games. And you basically hinted and nudged and said, well, we've got these other international games coming out of London, maybe somewhere else. We'll sell some more of those. It seems like a way for you to sort of do some more tests. Am I, am I interpreting that yeah, correctly? Th- th- this is what I tell you. I, I think the over-the-top game worked for us well. The, the game we had on Yahoo, and I think we're very interested in continuing that for next year. But more, um, doing uh, more. Potentially. Yeah. We, uh, in all honesty, we have not decided that. It could be one, could be more. We don't know. And I think when we look at Thursday Night Football, we're talking to uh, um, numerous people, both traditional media companies and, um, it, it, and some of the internet guys, and I think there will be a heavy digital component of that. It's just a question of what the model will be and how we will do it. And, and literally, as we sit here today recording this podcast, we are thinking through it and talking to people. So we haven't made any decisions. If I'm a traditional TV company, I'm paying you $600 million or more for the Thursday Night Games or any games. Don't I say the digital component is I get to stream this stuff on my own platform. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the, the TV rights going on CBS and the Internet rights going on Yahoo. Yeah, I, th- I think you'd say that. But I also I think you have to look at the value we create for the TV guys already. Um, as we sit here now, um, I, I think roughly the numbers are our television ratings are up two or three percent year over year, and and they were down the year before, right? Last yeah, year was a down year for yeah, you guys. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that. If you remember our first handful of Sunday night games, I mean the games were bad. I mean mm-hmm. the, the the margin of victory was a statistical anomaly, and some of our opening Thursday night football games were just bad. That margin of victory have come down to be what it normally is, which is around ten. And the ratings are right back up. And, and there was bad mojo on the league last year as well. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. I don't know how much that played into yeah. it. I, I think at the end of the day, the game's either good or it's bad. Um, because if you look at the, we're up, I think, around 6 to 8% over two years ago. So so we're, we're, we're still growing. And I only bring that up to say, when you compare that to the rest of television, it, it's, it's, it's defying gravity. And the, and the amount of value that they're getting, not only from the programming itself, but the ability to promote other programming, um, the ability to drive retransmission consent in their, in their cable affiliate deals, that there, there is a value there that is, that is real. And I think we're being paid fairly for that value. I so think- you're making the case that just for the TV rights alone, uh, um, you guys should pay up, and then we're also going to take. We're also going to have the ability to take the digital rights and sell them somewhere else. Well, you're you're making you're, you're making some presumptions on what the digital model yes, is. Absolutely, of course you are. You're, you're in the podcast business, so I. But I think, um, I, I think there is a way to how do you increase the value for the fan, increase the value for the NFL, increase the value for all partners involved. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive, and we're not opposed to having them streamed in ways that make sense on. Uh, the broadcasters owned and operated platforms. I'm in the podcast business. I'm also in the writing business. I spend a lot of time on the internet and I still get pretty confused about the best way and the ways that I'm allowed to watch your, your games. Yeah. On Thursday night, I wanted to watch the Packer game and for various reasons, I thought I might be able to watch it on Apple TV and I poked around, downloaded apps, eventually got the CBS app, tried to watch the game and I got a message saying you got to be a subscriber. Yeah. So I went and subscribed to the CBS app for six bucks a month, got my week free trial, clicked and got a message saying, no, 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 we don't have the rights after all. Yeah. Turns out I had to watch it on my phone, which I was happy to do. Yeah. Um, how much of that ecosystem needs to get straightened out so people who aren't nerds like myself can can successfully watch 
this stuff on digital platforms? I think a lot. I think um, anybody who is in the content business or the distribution business, and they're all figuring this out. I mean, we could spend 20 minutes talking about the windowing of television content across Hulu and across Apple, across all the different platforms. And um, one thing for sure is uh, it's not the same for any one company or any one platform. And I think sports leagues in the NFL are no different. And we're in this really remarkable transition period in media, which is one reason, by the way, we're doing these short-term Thursday night deals. We're not locking Thursday up for the long-term because if anybody said, hey, Brian, tell me what the world, or ask anybody what the world looks like in five and six years, they have theories. So is it a one-year deal or a two-year deal? I think it'll be short-term. We don't yeah. know. But I think without projecting what this deal would be, I think you just need to look at the last deals we've done. It's a series of one-year one year deals for Thursday Night Football. But if anyone who tells you what the future looks like, they're lying to you because they don't know. And so I think we're in this really interesting uh, transition period of how you, do, uh, how, you, how, you, how you do this. But I think what it's at the core of it and you're getting to is the days are gone where uh, you can tell a consumer what content they can consume when they can consume it. Pay TVs enjoy this wonderful – uh, advantage where it was the only way to get multiple channels into the household. And with the advent of broadband and the growth in video combined with mobile explosion, consumers are taking it back on their terms and they're not going to settle for the Swiss cheese of rights, as, you, as you're pointing out. And so we're adapting and so will everybody else. And I think the the key will be how do you get it to fans in a way that's intuitive and how do you do it in a way that reaches as many fans as possible and how do you do it in a way that makes economic sense? So you're pointing out that your ratings year over year are up, um, indicates you've got a pretty good product, pretty strong demand for it. Um, on the other hand, there's this ongoing discussion right now about the value of sports right overall. There's a lot of concern about ESPN, at least if you're at Disney, there's concern about ESPN because their, their numbers are going down, their subscriber numbers are going down. And what looked to be the safest bet in media, which is like spend a lot of money on a lot of sports rights, you have them exclusively, everyone has to pay you to watch them. Even if they don't want to watch them, they're going to have to pay because they got a part of that bundle. That strategy no longer looks that rock solid. In fact, it looks like sports rights might be an anchor, sort of weighing down the value of some of these companies. Um, Obviously, you're in the sports rights business, so you're not going to agree with that theory. But, but do you do you understand sort of the concern if you're at Disney or if you're an investor trying to figure out what to make of Disney's dependence on sports rights? Yeah, I I I, I think if you are in the business of investing in these companies who are in the content distribution business, it's a very uncertain time in that there has been more change in the last few years than there has been uh, in the previous fifteen. It really has, and it's gonna it's gonna continue to accelerate. Having said that, I don't. I don't subscribe to sports rights are is a, is a general matter overinflated or subscribe to ESPN is going away tomorrow. Um, I'm, I, look, I'm not a stock picker, and I won't tell you if the value. No, and again, you're in the selling sports rights business yeah, and the selling sports rights to ESPN business. So. Yeah, but but it does me no good to sort of overinflate sports. I mean, it, right. ultimately, ultimately, if there is a media strategy or media companies who can't afford to pay for our product, nobody wins. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in the business of just talking up sports rights because that's going to make the value higher. That's that's not how the world works. I think you have to demonstrate value to your partners and put a product on the field and product on the screen that makes sense. But what I do know is, as I said a little bit earlier, as, as we're talking here, there's nothing left uh, that I can see in any form of media that can aggregate audiences as effectively as live events or live sporting events. And if you're right, there's in, you guys plus the Grammys and the Oscars and a handful of things like that. And I think the Grammys and the Oscars have, 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 aren't as strong as they were before, but, but I, it's just harder, harder to do. Number one, there's always going to be value for that. Number two, regardless of if you're in 
traditional television or um, internet content distribution or whatever you're in, content or topics or subjects that people feel passionately about, there's always a way to build a business around that. And really one of our parts, our job at the NFL is how do you stoke and keep that passion and keep that interest and keep that engagement high. So that leads into one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Really interesting to watch, uh, to me, to watch you guys grapple with Facebook and Twitter in particular, but I think eventually Snapchat and some other platforms where it's now pretty reasonable for me as a, as a consumer to expect that um, if Adrian Peterson himself an awesome run, that I'm going to be able to see it on my phone, not on NFL.com, but on Twitter or Facebook or some other platform. Maybe it's a legal version, maybe it's an illegal version, but it's going to show up to me really quickly. Yeah. Um, and you guys seem like, and we can talk about some of the back and forth, but it seems like for the most part you said, yeah, we're going to get that clip to you for free. In theory, it means you can see a, all the highlights of a game in near real time without having to watch it on television. It seems like you've got you've looked at what the potential channel conflict of there and said we're gonna we're gonna go for it. Yeah, I, I, look, I think the days are over that. Well, they were over a long time ago that you stayed up to the eleven o'clock news for the last fifteen minutes or t- five minutes of the telecast. To right, see ESPN the, took care of that. ESPN took care of that, and now we're in another transition where. Um, you don't have to wait for SportsCenter or NFL Total Access on the NFL Network at 8 o'clock to see the highlights. And that's going to happen regardless. And if and clearly the consumer wants to do that, and you see some of these clips that show up on some of these platforms, and these platforms are so big and so massive, they're here to stay, obviously. It's, it's not, a, not a new thought. Um, so our view has been very much, well, we need to drive engagement on all those platforms. And especially if you're concerned in any business about driving a younger demo or different demos, you have to be there. And so we embrace them. Um, it's been, uh, you know, it's about getting the right model. Uh, we don't think our content should be um, given away for free. We never have. But we also think that our content can create value. And if you look at our deals with Twitter or Snapchat or some of these other players, we figured out a way to do that. Um, and Which is you charge Twitter or Snapchat or, or you or you split advertising revenue based around those clips. Yeah, without getting to the specifics of the deal, there's incremental value that's created for their platform, which that's what we do is we drive value for our partners and, and what are the, capture partners. And what do the TV guys say when they say, what, what, do, do, do you just, why are you putting those highlights on? I'm still showing this game. Look, 10 years ago, ten year, in two, we did television deals in 2005, which was a big, big year for us, which was when uh, uh, NBC took, had Sunday, took Sunday Night Football and uh, Monday Night Football went to ESPN. We, we, we shifted the chairs a little bit. But even then, and the internet was fairly new. Video was, was, was really starting to grow, but, yeah. but, but not much. When you talk to some of those guys, they felt if you put highlights on the internet, that it was going to hurt the rating, that less people were going to watch. And our view was it's only going to help. It's only going to promote. Uh, and we held back all the digital rights. And we, we initially deployed them on NFL.com, but as time went on and the world changed, we started to license them out. And the opposite has happened. We just talked about how our ratings are up. And I actually believe it's incremental consumption. So you still you, – you, either incremental and or do you think it's driving me to watch the game or both? You don't I care? Think, well, I think both. I think well, our data will tell you that 7 out of 10 people who are watching an NFL game have a second screen open. And they're doing lots of things. And I'm not naive to think they're all on NFL.com. They're not. Uh, they're tweeting – they're looking at Facebook. They're messaging their friends. They're on Facebook Messenger. They're doing a million things. And our view is that can enhance the engagement. And I think a lot of people here listening to your podcast, whether it's an NFL game or if it's the new episode of Walking Dead, when somebody tweets out what's going on, it reminds you it's on. Maybe you go watch it. Maybe less so for Walking Dead because you'll catch it on you'll DVR it, or maybe you're catching up on Netflix on past seasons. But you know that Green Bay-New England game is going to be over and now you're going to go see it. And so I think it actually is not only incremental consumption – and incremental engagement, 
but it's also driving people to watch the telecast. And I think, again, my, my job is very simple. How do you grow consumption and how do you grow the economic pie? And I think when you start to do these things, I think that both both boxes are checked. So one thing that's changed about, about your sport and, and media uh around your sport for several years has been the rise of fantasy sports. And Mm -hmm. then this year was this explosion of daily fantasy. It's DraftKings and FanDuel and this ridiculous explosion of ads in the first month or so of the season. Everyone's making fun of it. They've pulled back. Now there's a real question about whether these things are going to survive legal challenges. Um, Unlike other leagues, you guys haven't invested directly in this, but some of your teams have. Um, Some of our our owners have. Some of your owners have. Is is daily fantasy sort of baked into the NFL already, or could it go away and you guys could keep going without missing a step? Look, I think think we can go – I think we keep going without missing a a step to to put your – to answer your question directly. Um, Look, fantasy in general uh, has been very good for the NFL. And and I think it was interesting back in 1999 and around that time frame, uh, again, before I was at the league, but there was lots of conversations about – is fantasy legal or is fantasy not? And the le- and the NFL specifically was a little bit slower to get into it. We didn't launch a fantasy game till 2001, I think. And I think, um, you know, uh, so it's not surprising me that there's similar scrutiny on, on daily fantasy. But I, I would say fantasy is a general matter has been very good for the NFL. Um, what started as your most avid fans, um, older guys, passionate about NFL football, spending tremendous amount of times on fantasy has grown into we have more women and more kids playing. It is truly becoming a more accessible family event. And that's great for us. It just drives engagement. And you might be a Jets fan and you'll watch the Jets, but you might have Andy Dalton as your starting quarterback. And so you really want to watch the Cincinnati game. And, that and there was even a debate, and you still see it now, like whether that's a sort of moral way or appropriate way to watch sports. Does it make sense to root for someone who's not your team because they're on your fantasy team? But it seems like it's a pretty mainstream idea at this point. I think it's a mainstream idea. I think, um, so I think, I think fantasy is something we like. It's something we're in the business. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's um, beneficial to the sport. Uh, I think, uh, and we've been very clear about it, I think the daily fantasy, uh, quite literally, the jury's still out. Um, and when you saw that just ridiculous explosion of ads, let's keep using that same same, same <laughs> metaphor, this fall, did you go, did you go, hey, 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 well, this is not what we want on our, our around our product or on our product. Did you express concern to either the, 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 the networks that are selling the ads or FanDuel and DraftKings who are buying the ads? Well, we, we were cautious about it. Um, and, it's, I think, one of the reasons why um, the league, we didn't make an investment. We didn't um, enter into a sponsorship agreement and give them marks and logos and intellectual property and all the things you do when you put your do a sponsorship agreement with these guys. Um, but it was legal. Um, it's been deemed as legal. And so our broadcasters took ads, and, and, and there was no reason for us to say no. I think as this becomes um, – calls into question – other people other than us, the courts, and we'll decide if it's if it's legal or, or if it has the proper consumer protections and we'll, we'll adjust accordingly. But I think it was one of the reasons for our caution um, of getting into it. Um, uh, so I think we'll, we'll, I think there's some chapters to be played out there and we'll, we'll adjust accordingly. Do you, but do you if, think next fall we'll see that same level of advertising or is that a one-off? I don't know. I think it all, it all depends on if what, what these state attorney generals and the courts decide. And I think it all depends if these companies have the financial wherewithal to spend that much money. I mean, I, I, the thing that was striking to me, and I don't know, um, I, I don't know much about the economics of the business. I haven't studied it. I know enough to be dangerous, but they were spending a lot of money. And I don't know if their if their customer acquisition costs 
really squared with the revenue they're generating. There's somewhere that's a plan that does that. I, but you know, that's for them to answer. But I think um, it will all depend on where some of this litigation and some of these uh, state proceedings come out. So let's do one more future-facing question. So you said earlier, look, free TV has been a big deal to us. If we wanted to maximize the amount of money, we would have sold uh, the rights to, to cable TV a long time ago. Are you committed to making these games, whether or not they're delivered over the internet or any other medium, um, free in the future? Or at some point, would this be something you've got to pay someone to see these things? Well, I mean, I think there, there's always been um, an underlying economic model that we have to figure out. Um, it's worked well for us to be able to have an ad-supported, broad-reach sport. And I think if we had our druthers, that's what, um, that's what we would do. Um, I think there's a lot of changes in the model. I think the good news is, is we've, um, where it made sense, have tried to use technology and different business models to get fans the games they want. So Sunday Ticket with the out-of-market package has been something that not all fans really want to see all the games, but if they want to, they can pay DirecTV and get it. What's the next iteration of that of that model? We'll have to figure out. But I think we've always prided ourselves on being able to um, making sure that NFL football, at least your team, your home team, is as broadly ex- uh, ex- uh, accessible as possible and we'll continue to do so that. for better or worse we'll see the giants for free for years to come for better they've won a couple super bowls what are you worried about yeah i'm not really a giants fan that's why oh, okay well then go vikings oh, um go. brian thank you very much for coming by thanks for having me and thank you listeners for tuning in if you enjoyed listening to this interview as much as i did conducting it you should subscribe it's free catch up on previous episodes be the first to listen to future ones all on recode.net slash decode Recode Decode is now twice a week. On Monday, we'll be back with an interview with Jet.com CEO Mark Lohr. And on Thursday, I'll be here with Katie Nolan from Fox Sports. See you soon. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.